The Muslims also revere Abraham, but not for the same reasons. They do see him as a patriarch, and they do see him as a prophet, which Jews and Christians also do. Who exactly was Abraham, and why is his life so important in biblical history and the world today? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. And today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem. And it was actually eight years ago today, as we record this, that Joel and his family followed literally in the footsteps of Abraham and made Aliyah or made an immigration to Israel from the U.S. Joel, welcome. Glad you're here. And This is a fascinating subject that I love from the Bible. Absolutely. Abraham is one of my favorite, I don't want to say characters because it sounds like it's fiction, but uh, one of my favorite leaders, one of my favorite personalities, in part because what God asked of him was so challenging, so extraordinary. I look forward to unpacking his life. And I will just note, you know, when God said he would give him a great name, and we're going to get to the the Genesis 12 in a moment, but God said he's going to make a great name. Look, the biggest peace deal between Israelis and Arabs in modern history, certainly since the Egyptian and Jordanian peace deals uh, last century, but certainly of this century, what are they called? They're called <laughs> the Abraham Accords. Yeah. Like Christians revere Abraham mm-hmm. and Jews revere Abraham and so do Muslims. Okay, for slightly different reasons, but yeah, he's a big deal and, <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I love his story. And, and when I moved to Israel eight years ago, Yes. The book I was reading at the time was Chuck Swindoll's biography of Abraham. Mm, fascinating. Well, those kinds of stories in the Bible are instructive for us, of course, in our personal lives, but they're also really insightful tools, especially Abraham, to understand the dynamics, the incredible turbulent dynamics of the Middle East today. And you've had a front row seat to that, especially the Abraham Accords, as you've just said. Uh, and earlier this year, we had the, uh, the amazing opportunity to go on that delegation that you led to the UAE, uh, Bahrain, and Israel, three of the primary signers of that first uh, Abraham Accord signing ceremony there in the, on the White House lawn in, in uh, September of 2020. But Joel, maybe you can just talk about what we heard from, from Jews and Muslims and Christians about Abraham while we were on those conversations. Abraham is a beloved patriarch, uh, the beloved patriarch of all three monotheistic religions. You know, obviously, it starts with Judaism. Now, to be clear, Abraham wasn't Jewish. You're like, wait, what? No, Judaism comes out of one of the descendants of Abraham, right? Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob is renamed by God Israel in the book of Genesis, and then Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons is Judah, and that's where Judaism comes from. That's the remaining surviving tribe, and that is where the faith, the religion that God gave through Abraham, it was really came through Judah. So that's where we get Judaism mm-hmm. from this Abraham, Isaac, Jacob patriarchy. But of course, Christians love Abraham for the exact same reasons as the Jews, because this is how God decided to bless the world through Abraham, right? And we'll get into the scriptures about the moment, the very moment that God chose Abraham out of, he could have picked anybody sovereignly, but he chose Abraham. Why? And then renamed him Abraham. Anyway, so Christians love 
the Old Testament. We're supposed to. And, and, and it is the word of God. So therefore, we pick up on that love for Abraham. Mm. Uh, and of course, Jesus affirmed uh, the role of Abraham and even says before Abraham was, I am. And the, and the Jewish leaders were like, I'm sorry, what? You're not even 50 years old. What are you talking about? You were before Abraham. Well, because Jesus was not only man, he is God and therefore yeah. he is eternal. And so that's how the people from both faiths love and revere Abraham. The Muslims also revere Abraham, but not for the same reasons. They, they do see him as a, as a patriarch and they do see him as a prophet which Jews and Christians also do. Mm-hmm. But they trace their lineage through Ishmael, right? And we talked about this on a, on a recent yeah. podcast, one I really enjoyed doing, by the way, uh, what the Muslims believe about Jesus. But in that, we also talk about what they believe about Abraham, and they believe that they are the descendants as Arabs and as Muslims more generally, they're the descendants of Ishmael, which is mm-hmm. mostly true. You know, obviously Muslims see Abraham as different. In other words, they believe that all those promises and all those blessings come through Ishmael, mm. where the God of the Bible says God loves Ishmael and blessed Ishmael, but the specific blessings of whom the Messiah is going to come through and where the land of Israel was going to be coming, all that comes through Isaac, not Ishmael, even though God loved Ishmael. So some differences, important differences, yeah. uh, but nonetheless, um, uh, you know, as we met with uh, Arab Muslim leaders, they just hold in the highest regard uh, the person of Abraham and yeah. they trace their lineage and much of what they care about to Abraham. Yeah, it's remarkable. And uh, as you said, you know, even to this day that the uh, the accords of peace in the region between all these nations uh, refer to Abraham because of the, the common root uh, that they all see in his life. Uh, but from a Christian perspective, you know, in the in the New Testament, Abraham is cited for uh, his faith and his faith that is credited as righteousness, his obedience to God in, in getting up from his his land and leaving all his flocks and tribes and all of the wealth that he had in that place, and his generosity, his giving. But uh, as Christians, you know, we see Abraham because of this this great faith. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about what that example of faith means and where we get that yeah. from his life. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, anyone that's been following uh, this podcast and, of course, the work of the Joshua knows that the mission statement of the Joshua Fund is to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is famously known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading in the New American Standard Bible. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, Hmm. and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." Now, adding verse 4, because that's important, it says, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and he was 75 years old at the time. Now, what's interesting is God basically makes a series of promises. He makes a promise to give Abram land, and then a nation, and then a name, and then a blessing, and then I would add also a legacy, that it's not Mm. just Abram. It's this legacy that passes through his son Isaac, and later through Jacob, and then later through Jacob's 12 
tribes and specifically through the tribe of Judah. And that leads us right up to the life of our Savior and Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And when we start in Matthew chapter 1, the first thing that you read in the New Testament is a genealogy that traces right back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is really important. And what's interesting, of course, as you know, Carl, but for those who are paying attention and watching or listening and, and are thinking, okay, I don't really know that much about Abram. I know he's a name. I know the name. And But one of the things we learn in the scriptures is that Abram was not a God-fearing man. Hmm. Uh, at least he wasn't a monotheist. He didn't know the God of the Bible. He didn't know – you can't say the God of Israel yet because there was no Israel – but he didn't know the one true God. The book of Joshua tells us that he comes from a pagan family, from an idol-worshiping family. So what is happening here? Uh, and where was he living, by the way? He was living in Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. which uh, you know we would say is the modern-day country of Iraq. Certainly, it's a mess. Uh, uh, Iraq <laughs> mess- is a mess. Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. <laughs> uh, and it's remained messy to this, to this day. But – what we're seeing here is not only has God created the world and established nations and, and, and started to show some favor to some people, but he's specifically choosing one person, a pagan, someone who doesn't believe in God and saying, I'm going to speak to you personally. Mm. I'm going to pull you out of your world of darkness and mm. lostness. You don't know me, but I know you and I'm going to reveal myself to you, Abram. And of mm. course, he changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. Avraham, we would say in uh, in, uh, in Hebrew. Hebrew. Avra is father and Am is nation. And so there we get. So the point is, God says, I'm going to pull you out of your world that's lost and confused and you and your family don't get it. But I'm going to reveal myself to you and I'm going to do all these things for you. And I'm going to sovereignly do them. It's not hmm. because you were seeking me. It's not because you get it. You don't get it. But I want you to get it and I will help you get it. And I'm going to take you on a journey. And what's amazing is Abram was like, okay, like that's a big deal. People don't leave their country. They don't leave their, their home. And, and he was from a wealthy family, a, a successful family. There's every evidence that there would be no reason to go to what became Israel, but was known at the time as Canaan. Why? Like there's nothing there. There's no McDonald's. There's no, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no hotels along the way. There's no uh, gas stations. There's no, uh, you know, when I moved to Israel, uh, eight years ago, Lynn and I and the boys, my sister, one of my sisters, uh, she's adopted from Korea, and she was saying, now, Joel, I, I've never been to Israel. Is, are there McDonald's? I'm like, yes, there are McDonald's. <laughs> and she said, are there, you know, is I, do they? Do you have Ikea? I said, yeah, actually, we have two uh, Ikea stores. She said, do you have Target? I said, Katie, you, you can't have, tar- <laughs> the whole country is a Target. You cannot have a, a department <laughs> store with a big bullseye on it. Like, it's the Middle East. And she's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I get that. So, but all right, so we had things that Abraham did not have. But, you know, I learned something eight years ago. I, you know, I thought I knew the story of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought I understood the faith it took to leave the country you were born in, the country you grew up in, your whole family, all your friends, everything you know, and, you know, you're not doing so badly there. Why would you go to an entirely different place just because God says it? Mm. Well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, I thought I knew all that, and I, I, I believed it. I agreed with it. But I'll tell you, Carl, it's something to actually go do that, Yeah. to become a citizen of the nation of Israel, to leave the United States. Again, you know, we weren't fleeing. We're not like Jews from around the world that are fleeing persecution, anti-Semitism, war, hostility. Think of Ukrainian Jews right now sure. trying to get out and come to Israel or, or wherever they're from. 
But, you know, you leave the United States, you're leaving the wealthiest, most powerful country on the face of the planet mm. in the history of mankind. Why would you go do that? Yeah. Well, only if God tells you to do it. Yeah. At least, I mean, people may have other reasons, but that's the only reason we would do it. And that's sure. why we did it. But it's challenging. And it was very challenging for Lynn and me, but it was even more challenging for our four sons. You know, they, they thought it was going to be an adventure when we started. Yeah. And they quickly decided it wasn't such an adventure that they wanted. And they, you know, to be honest, they wanted to go back. Yeah. Now you say, okay, well, even the Jews leaving Egypt they wanted to decided they wanted to go back <laughs> to Egypt. And that was to slavery and to, you know, they yeah. just wanted leeks and onions. And my <laughs> kids weren't trying to go back to slavery. They were trying to yeah. go back to the wealthiest, most powerful country on the face of the planet. Sure. And I get it. There's a lot of cultural and, and, and social and, and economic and linguistic yeah. challenges that are very difficult. And I will say this one other thing. I now understand why Abram and Sarah didn't have children when God moved them, right? Uh, God must have said to Sarah, look, I know you're barren and I know that's painful. We're going to deal with that, but you Hang don't on. want teenagers as I take you into the Holy Land. Just trust sure. me on this. You're not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Who did they have? They had uh, they had their nephew Lot, and he was problematic in his own right. So, right. but yeah, Lynn and I have learned the hard way that uh, taking four sons, uh, teenagers at the time, and preaching and bring them here was hard. That's hard. Um, so I, I have a great respect for the faith that Abram had, and Sarah too. Yeah. Now the sure. faith didn't always show up. There are well, moments we see throughout the scriptures where their faith fails. We're going to, we're going to get to that. I think it, uh, we ought to take a break right now, but uh, when we come back, I want us to, because you've just shown one tremendous example about how the, the, the example of, of Abraham's faith uh, motivated and, and instructed us uh, in, in something very modern day, your immigration to Israel and how that, how that plays into the conversation about what's happening today. We're going to look at a couple other things that I think our, our readers will maybe be surprised, not only the, the positive things that Abraham did, but some of the things that he did negatively. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Our verse for the day is found in Galatians 3, 6, and 7. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And our prayer requests today are, number one, to pray that the life and example of Abraham would motivate us to trust God more fully each day. And second, pray that more people would find a connection point for the gospel through the life and example of Abraham.
Hey, Joel, I'm so glad we're on this topic of Abraham because his life is an example for us in so many ways. And you just talked about how uh, the example of Abraham leaving his home country and coming to a foreign land was stressful and traumatic. But it's a great example of what uh, trusting God and moving forward on that really looks like as you step out in faith. But Abraham's great story and maybe the the, the singular most well-known story for Abraham is the story of his call from God to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah and his faith and obedience in that story. Of course, we know the story that Isaac uh, was spared by God providing uh, a lamb, a ram, in the, with horns stuck in the bush, and that became the example of what uh, true faith looks like. But we see some things in that story uh, regarding sacrifice. Uh, not only does that not always come with clear answers, uh, and that obedience needs to be swift. But but there are some other things in that story that challenge us in our relationship with God and, and with others. What are, what are some of those things that we can learn from the story of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain? Well, what I love about Abraham is the Bible is very honest about his life, that the Bible does not sweep under the rug the failings of Abraham, that when he, when his faith failed him, when Sarah's faith failed her, uh, when they struggled, we see that. The Bible is honest about it. It's one of the things that I think uh, reaffirms the, 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 the veracity and the trustworthiness of the Bible is that even the great heroes of the Bible, the Bible is honest about their weaknesses and their failings. I mean, starting with the first character, right, or the first person, and well, first two, Adam and Eve, we see them fail. <laughs> this is <laughs> chapter two, like, boom, like <laughs> chapter three, like, wait, what is happening here? And we certainly see that in the life of Abraham. So, you know, he shows a lot of faith as he says, okay, God, I will follow you and I will go to this place, the land of Canaan. And, I, and right. even though I don't know anyone there and I can't look it up on GPS and there's no, there's no hotels, there's no restaurants, like, <laughs> I don't even know, I can't Google it. Like, think of what we do and think of what he was unable to do to have a sense of where he was going. And and God doesn't even say Canaan. He just says the land I will show you. So, yeah. but when he gets there, uh, you know, he certainly sacrificed to the Lord. He, he, he shows faith and he, and he's honoring the Lord as he goes. But uh, when he, when there's a, there's a famine and he, he and his wife feel that maybe they should go down to Egypt and uh, to get some food. And uh, what happens, right? We, we, we see him think, Oh, he doesn't trust God. He, he fears that by going to Egypt, um, his wife is so beautiful that the Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, is going to take his wife from him and will kill him. Now, let's just be clear. Sarah must have been quite a beautiful woman. I mean, the Bible says she is, but I mean, why, she was uh, somewhere in the, her 70s, I believe, at this point. Yeah. And he's worried that, that a woman in her 70s is going to be so gorgeous that a regional monarch is going to want to marry her and, and kill him to get her. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we see that failure. And sadly, that doesn't even just happen once. Yeah. <laughs> he does it again later. And then later a son does this too. But anyway, the point is we see these moments. But what, what's exciting is not only do we see the failures, we see growth. Mm. Right. And so when we get all the way to the point where, well, first of all, God promises this son to a barren couple Right, who now is what I think 190 years old. Like, like yeah, he's 100, old. she's 90, right? And so, like, they've been barren their whole lives, and now, or she's been, and then they're going to get a, a baby now at this age. They don't even believe it. Yeah. Well, she doesn't, and he even laughs at first. 
But then he accepts this and sure enough, it happens. And so there's growth and God is gracious. He, mm. he gets that people don't understand who he is. God understands that we don't understand it. He's trying to build our faith. So what happens is when, he, when they get the son of promise, right, Isaac, a miraculous child that shouldn't have been born but was, now they love him and they care for him and they're raising him. And I, I, obviously I skipped over the whole moral failing of not getting an Isaac and therefore mm. uh, Sarah saying to Abraham, well, look, you're not going to get a baby from me, so why don't you just sleep with my assistant? And that's crazy. And then yeah. Abram's like, okay. <laughs> and then Sarah's super mean to Hagar, for, you know, when, when Hagar has this baby, Ishmael, a lot of problems here. Yeah. But we see growth. We see progress. So when we get to the point where Isaac is born and now he's old enough in God's eyes to test Abram and say, okay, now I want you to give back to me this Mm -hmm. only begotten son that I gave you. I want you to sacrifice him to show me how much you love me. Mm -hmm. And rather than saying, forget you, are you freaking insane? I'm not going to follow that God anymore. Mm -hmm. Abraham, we, we understand from the totality of Scripture, not just the Old Testament, but from Hebrews and the whole story, we understand, and from Paul's writings and from Jesus, we understand that Abraham believed that God would raise his son Isaac from the dead yeah. because if he's asking me to kill this son, but he's also promised me that through this son, I'm going to be a great nation and I'm going to be a blessing to the world. and. And ultimately, the Messiah is going to come through my line. If he's asking me to kill that son, he must be planning to raise that son from the dead. Yeah. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith. And that faith, in what I love, and I will credit Chuck Swindoll's book on Abraham in helping me to see it in a way I really just hadn't to that point. It's a product of the failures. Yeah. God is testing him in small ways, or they seem big to Abram, but compared to sacrificing your only son, okay, well, those are small tests. But having failed those, and yet God having blessed him and, and forgiven him and helped him get back on track, Abram's faith was growing. Sarah's faith was growing. And this is more than 20 years that passes from the initial call of Genesis 12 up to the moment of this call of sacrifice. I find that fascinating, that it took time. But Abram's faith, Sarah's faith was growing, and that's encouraging. And one last thing, when you look at the actual passage in which God tells Abram to take his only begotten son up to this particular mountain, Mount Moriah, in what we now know as Jerusalem, it's it's literally the Temple Mount. That is where the temple later was built by Solomon and later refurbished before the time of Jesus in that exact spot. But what's interesting, the time frame is interesting. From the moment God says it, I'm asking you to do this, Abraham, to the moment that God says, okay, stop. You don't have to give up your only begotten son. I I now see that you trust me and I will have another sacrifice. Three days. The scriptures literally say it was a three-day journey from that moment when God pronounced the death of the only begotten son of Abraham Mm -hmm. to the essentially the resurrection, meaning you don't have to kill him. Three days. Now, what's that signaling? I mean, it's true in its own right, but it also signals that Jesus is God's only begotten son, Mm. that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only begotten son, but then at the last minute said, no, 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 you don't actually have to do it. But God did it for his only begotten son, that Jesus became the sacrifice. And from the moment he died until he was raised again, three days. And I just find that 
amazing. And there's so much richness in the story of Abraham. Yeah, I don't think uh, coincidence is not a word we use often when it comes to scripture like that. I think that's an intentional example of how God echoes or pre-echoes what he knows will take place on that cross uh, and that sacrifice of his only son. And even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's an odd phrase when you think, well, okay, where's the prophecy that the Messiah will be raised on the third day? Like, where does that come from? Now, there are a few echoes of third day language in the Old Testament, but there's no specific prophecy. What he's referring to, in my view, is the story of Abraham and Isaac, that Mm -hmm. that, that just as Abraham— was asked to sacrifice his only begotten son, but on the third day, that son didn't die and was alive. So too, the actual Messiah, the God's only son, only begotten son, he will die and be raised on the third day. It's a beautiful story, and it tells us that Jesus is the perfection of the faith that Abraham was beginning to build, but didn't have nearly, you know, isn't, you know, he isn't Jesus. But through his line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, we get to Jesus. And it is just a powerful story. Well, it is. And I'm so blessed when you unpack that for us, because of course, Abraham is called the father of faith. And, and this is the, the single example. But, you know, we also, we also see, as you've mentioned, you know, Abraham had to build to that point because after the promise was made, he got kind of impatient, took matters into his own hands, or shall we say uh, other things. Um, And this is possibly one of the great connection points to the bifurcation that we see in the Middle East today when when he and Sarah grew impatient with God's promises and and he slept with Hagar and had Ishmael. So talk a little bit about what happens when when our faith falters or when we get impatient with God's promises. Yeah, it is an interesting story where uh, we all are prone to be impatient with God, because, especially in an, in a microwave age, uh, it, you know, or <laughs> the age of you know Jiffy Pop popcorn or microwave popcorn. Just, I want it and I want it now, and it, you know, just warm it up and we're good to go. Instant coffee, you know, all that. If we if we look at a promise of God in the scriptures, we expect Him to deliver as though He's a vending machine, right? That we put in our dollar. And we get a Kit Kat bar out because, well, we did this, so you do that. That is not the type of relationship God is looking to uh, have with us. There are times that when we pray, he answers immediately, and that really can affirm our faith. But there are prayers that we pray that take a long time. And he even tells us, he, he gives us, Jesus gave us many examples of continuing to press God for things even when they don't happen. And even Jesus even uses the, it seems like a crazy analogy. He says, like, if a neighbor comes over and, and knocks on your door early in the morning, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> hey, I've got guests here. I need some bread. Help me out. I don't have enough food. And you're like, I'm, I'm in bed. What are you talking about? Boom, 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 boom. That Jesus says, you wouldn't even get up to help your friend, even though he's your friend, but just to get him out of your hair because he's knocking boom, 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 boom. And he's so persistent you'll give him bread, you'll take care of his needs. God is saying, like, you do that in in your crazy sinful life, God responds to persistence. Mm. Now, obviously, you don't want to take that in, in some weird way, but I think it what it does tell us is part of the fruit of the Spirit that mm. Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5 is patience. In Hebrew, sablanut. And um, 
interesting coming to Israel. This is not a country that has a lot of sablanut. <laughs> People are not patient here. They're not patient when they're driving. They're yes. not patient when they're shopping. They're not patient when they're voting. Uh, there's a lot of things. There's a the very boom, boom, boom. Everyone's going boom, boom, boom. I want this. I want it now. And it, and it is a challenging, you know, I think that's true of Americans in some ways, but wow, Israelis are much more aggressive in getting and trying to get what they want. Right. I say all that because God is trying to build patience in us. But the key is understanding that patience includes not trying to fill in for where God ought to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that you can really get yourself in a lot of trouble in life when you decide I'm not waiting for God. I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. That's right. And OK, so adultery, sleeping with, you know, the maid or the you know, your wife's assistant or whatever. Bad, horrible not good, but there's a lot of things less than that yeah. that can be bad and unhelpful in our personal lives and our ministry lives because we're impatient, because we're not trusting in the sovereignty of God mm. to either think, well, maybe he really doesn't want me to have this. Maybe the answer is no to my prayer, or maybe the answer is yes, but wait. Yeah. I often say uh, to young people that we're discipling, you know, Lynn and I will say like, okay, next week, come back with three of the greatest answers to prayer that God has ever done in your life. Stuff that really like, wow, God just did this incredible, amazing, wonderful thing. Every single time, right, Carl? Every single time these young people come back and they will they will say, whoever they are, they'll, they'll always say the three answers to uh, that were yes. Mm. I prayed for this and God said yes. Yeah. yeah, I was sick and God healed me or my mother was sick or I needed this amount of money for this or that, whatever it is. So then we say, okay, next week, we want you to come back with three answers in which God said no, yeah. and you weren't happy at the time, but now you realize, wow, sure. that was a good answer, yeah, right? right. And, and that would be true of weight also. Yeah. So uh, those are important lessons from Abraham because that's what the Bible is there for, to give us models of how to live yeah. by faith, but also when our heroes fail yeah. or, or stumble in their faith, okay, let's learn from those lessons, and then let's learn about how God interacted with them? How did he Mm -hmm. forgive them? How did he get them back up on their feet and moving again? Peter, when he betrays Christ three times before the rooster crows, and now is weeping in remorse, but God wasn't done with him yet. Yeah, that's right. And if you stop there in the story, you think, well, Peter's a great failure, and uh, why replicate him? But then you see him at Pentecost preaching the gospel with great courage. You think, wait, what just happened there? What should I be learning from that? From, from the failure to the faith. Yeah. Well, Joel, you know, the life of Abraham, uh, as, we, as we just said, you know, is full of many great triumphs, but also many very clear mistakes and, and failures and weaknesses. But despite all that, I think Scripture is amazing. It calls Abraham the friend of God, despite those mistakes. Joel, what do you think this says about, first of all, God, and what can we learn uh, from this statement? Well, one of the things we learn is that God calls us out of darkness hmm. because he sovereignly loves us and wants us to know him. You know, the, you know, Abram was, was a pagan in a pagan society, no access to knowing the one true God. There was no Bible at the time. Therefore, there, you know, there was no church. There, was, there, were, there were no preachers. There was no satellite television. There were no podcasts explaining the truth of the Bible that it did. So God came to him and revealed himself, and Abraham started a journey. So that's God's heart, his mercy. Mm. Secondly, I think that God forgives 
us when we make mistakes. In fact, sometimes he even blesses us, not because of the mistake, but to show how gracious he is, right? Mercy is different from grace. Yes, God is merciful and he's gracious. Mercy is not giving us the punishment we deserve, Hmm. but grace is giving us something as a blessing when we don't deserve it. Like if your kid, you know, beats up his sister, that's bad. (laughs) Now, (laughs) if you show mercy to him, maybe you don't punish him as badly as he expects to be punished and deserves to be punished, perhaps. But then to say, and I'm going to take you and your sister out to an amusement park this weekend, rather than making you stay in your room or, you know, whatever, like, that's not just not punishing you the way you expected and to be punished and you should have been punished. Sure. You're now getting something, which if you hear it and feel it wrong, you're going to think I'm being rewarded for my sin. No, that's sure. not. God will find a way to correct that if that's your view. Of sure. But his view of, I want to bless you to show you that not only have I forgiven you, but I really do love you and I want good things for you. And yeah. parents are often very gracious to their children, right? Yeah. You know, they're horrible, but you take them on vacation anyway. You <laughs> behind, you know, so I mean, all right, that's, that's the point but, is that God shows his grace to yeah. Abraham. And I think that is like, you know, he, you know, he lies about his wife and he takes mm-hmm. him down to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets mad when he realizes what's just happened, that he's been lied to by the man of God. That's not a good witness. But then Pharaoh says, leave, but here's a lot of money also. <laughs> now, if you read that wrong, you're going to be like, oh, if I lie and you know betray God's principles, well, yeah. he will reward me. No, no, no. But he might forgive you and show you blessings Grace. and favor yeah. that you don't really deserve. And yeah. over time, that's exactly what Abram realized. Not only am I being forgiven by this God, but he's also really showering me with kindness that sure. I, I know I don't deserve. I ought to trust him more, not sure. to get the rewards, but to draw closer to this God who, who loves me so much. And I think that's where him as a man of faith, that he, that he didn't just generally say, oh, yeah, sure, God, I'm sure that's true. He genuinely acted because he believed God was right, that he was right. true. Even if he didn't understand all that was ahead of him, mm. he still was making decisions based on trusting God. What's faith? It's trust in God, even though you can't see the next steps ahead of you. Yeah. It's an example that we can learn from and uh, we can also use to model for others as a basis for conversation. The person, the example of Abraham is a great touchstone for every human who has any interest in moral and and faithful things, but also for those that have uh, failed greatly and uh, yet are deserving of God's uh, mercy and his grace. One other thing on that, I I just think it's important before we wrap, um, and that is, let's not forget uh, that through Abraham comes Isaac, comes mm. Jacob. Jacob, Yaakov is his name, but he gets renamed Israel. He who wrestles with God. It's mm. okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to struggle as long as we come out saying, okay, Lord, you're in charge and I want you to bless me. That's the life of Jacob. Jacob had his own moral failings, his own ethical failings, his own faith failures and, and stumbles. And yet God does this amazing thing in him and through him. And this is where the nation of Israel come from. Not just the ethnic nation, but also the sovereign geopolitical state of Israel comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will say that I don't think our Arab friends uh, in the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Morocco and elsewhere think of God's plan to give the Jewish people all the land of Israel uh, that is described in the Bible. I don't think that's what they mean by the Abraham Accords. It is ironic because this whole concept of chopping up the land and giving it to everybody 
is not biblical, but um, I know it sounds like common sense and wisdom today. That's a different podcast for a different time. Different time. The point is the very nation of Israel and the Jewish people emerges out of Abraham. Right. And I will just add one last thing. Abraham had a, a I think it was a grandparent or great-grandparent named Eber. That's the way it's written in English or Ivli. So Abraham was described as a Hebrew. That's the English way of saying an Ivrit. Somebody from descendant from this person, Ivri. That's where we get the whole concept of being a Hebrew or wow. speaking the language of Hebrew. And again, that's a whole other the language, the nation, state, the geopolitical state, the Jewish people. All of this, all of us, and, and all that's happening is is a direct fulfillment of the prophecies that God spoke first to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and it's being fulfilled to this very day. The fact that I'm I'm speaking to you from the capital of the Jewish state, the fact that Jews still exist on the planet after the Pharaoh, after the book of Esther, after all the traumas of the Bible, after the pogroms, after Hitler, etc., 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 the fact that we exist and that there's a nation state, this is going back to the very promise set of promises that God gave to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's an amazing story. And I, I know we will unpack it in other ways in the, uh, in future podcasts, but how fun to uh, begin to unpack the patriarchs uh, where else than inside the epicenter. It's amazing, Joel. I am so grateful that you were able to do this with us today because sometimes, you know, we do need to take a pause from all the politics and all of the uh, social needs of, uh, of today and look back and see this character of Abraham, who's so fundamental to all uh, of, of human history and certainly someone we, uh, we need to be knowing about and, and understanding his role in both biblical and modern history. Joel, I thanks. Agree. I will say, I should say one thing parenthetically, that the, the saddest moment in Abraham's life to me is when Sarah dies mm. because they became such a great partnership and they, and they'd really gone through so much together and they'd made their mistakes, but they'd come through it together. And then, and then God takes Sarah home, and Abraham is alone, yeah. uh, still raising Isaac, still trying to figure out his way in the world. And uh, being a, a widower is a sadness. Now, eventually yeah. the Lord brought him someone else, but he lost his his greatest partner in life. Yeah. And, and that was, uh, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. But that's yeah. one of the, I think, the saddest moments, I, I think the saddest in the life of Abraham. Well, there's so much more there too that we can we can perhaps come back to another podcast uh, at a future time and really unpack those things. Joel, thanks again from Jerusalem. Appreciate you coming and uh, sharing this great uh, biblical uh, information with us and and just your heart. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Love you as well. So glad to be with you. And uh, and for all our listeners, hey, we love you too. <laughs> uh, and to learn more about what God is doing and moving in the epicenter through the Joshua Fund, you can head on over to joshuafund.com and sign up for our e-newsletter. Uh, through those emails, you'll hear encouraging stories of life change that will surely bless you as well. And as always, check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on or to leave a question that you'd like us to address. So for Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually 
and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.